Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAers. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions, uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming the weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about our HA, diving into how HA works, and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at. Whether you have HA or you've got a few recovery periods, we have your back and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join and the link is in the show notes for you okay on with the show hey and welcome to the hypothalamic amenorrhea podcast an adulting advice podcast production i'm danny sheriff and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly this podcast aims to educate inform and keep you motivated on your period and ha recovery track let's dive in And guys, please remember that I am not a doctor and nothing on this show should be taken as medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician. Have you looked into the Healing HA eight-week program yet? If not, I've got your back. I'm going to fill you in on the details right now. It was created and it's ran by Sarah Liz King, who is a good friend of the show. And I'm really pumped to be promoting this for her because this is not a course that I have yet created. I run the HA Society at the moment, a community for women to come in, share their experiences, get support in weekly calls, get digital coaching throughout. But I do not have a specific structured eight-week program course. And just planting a seed, but I will share more about this later, 
I am creating a program for women who have recovered to ensure that recovery is not just happening but is permanent and we have this t- the skills and the tools that we need to make sure that we maintain a healthy period for the rest of our menstruating lives. So I was really excited when Sarah had this course out. I was like, you have to get some stuff together so that I can help you promote it. And she did. So it's an eight-week program. She goes over, you know, why you got HA, how to put together a five-step recovery program for you individually. There's one-on-one support throughout the eight weeks if you need it for whatever questions that you have. There's weekly calls with the whole group. There's a Facebook group, if I didn't already say that. And there's workbooks. And so if you love like good structured stuff, you know, she's got your back with this, which is really cool. She talks also about ensuring that you're eating enough, exercising, you know, all that good stuff that you're curious about. She also dives into, you know, the the extra boost stuff, the extra boost stuff. Sorry, I don't know where my words are today, like alternative therapies, acupuncture, supplementation, and even like exercise strategies and stuff that you can do to give your body that extra boost throughout recovery. And her and I are really on the same page with like movement is healthy for you. You know, it's just how can you ensure that you're moving in a way that is appropriate for your HA recovery. So I really like that she covers that module. This is just a super great course. I'm really psyched about it. So what I want from you for you guys and this thing that I'm offering, I'm only offering to listeners of the podcast and women on my email list. So I'm not talking about this on social media, but if you go and join her program, I will give you a whole month free of the HA Society so that you can be in conjunction with doing the course, getting digital coaching from me, joining the community calls, listening to the early access episodes, attending the live practitioner events. So you're basically getting a lot more for just the price of the the course. So all you have to do is go to healingha.thehasociety.com and the links are in the show notes there. Buy the course using that link and send me your receipt and I will set you up immediately inside of the AJ Society. I'm the only one offering that and it's only if you're listening. (laughs) So make sure that you go and check it out. The course starts on March 29th. So I'm pretty sure she has limited spots. You're going to want to get in on that ASAP and I can't wait to see you inside of the HA Society and check in on how it's going, answer any questions you have along the way while you're doing the course and just help you get your period back. Okay, guys, let's go and meet our good friend, Abby. Okay, fine. All right, I hit record. So, hey everyone and welcome back to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea podcast. I am here today with my... Now, I would consider a very good friend, Abby. Abby, how are we saying your last name? Vich- it's, it's Vichel. Oh, is it? Yeah. No no one gets it right. So No, I mean, this, this whole Vichel time bad. I've been like, it's like some exotic Italian last name. Vichel or... Vichelli. Vichelli. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, it just, I mean, we've gotten some really good ones. 
I love it. Okay. Well, Abby, Abigail, she is super cool. She's a member of the society and has been a really good um, contributor just to encouraging people and showing up for other people and sharing her story along the way. Um, She came in and did not have period at the time and then did some work and got one. And we're kind of going to tell, I want to just like hear from her, her story of her background and then what she, all the things she tried. And yeah, just tell your story, go down whatever rabbit holes that are important to you. And then we'll kind of get into like what's going on today. Yeah, for sure. It's so weird. Like, I feel like since I've told this story a few times, it's come out different every time. It's like interesting just to hear like how I feel like I've evolved and how I've learned things about myself throughout this process that like makes me explain it in different ways. But anyways, yeah. So I would say, I mean, growing up, like many of us, like I was an athlete my whole life from the time I can remember being alive, like I was tumbling and like in gymnastics and in every sport I could think of. So I've always been super into fitness and my passion for health and fitness early on was just very, um, it just came very naturally. So was very involved in sports, um, kind of forced fast forward into high school. I was pretty involved in volleyball. That was sort of my main sport. Um, I competed in swimming as well. So those were kind of like my two big sports. Um, and then going into college, I didn't end up playing a college sport, but was still super into fitness. So I worked out so much in high school, um, like obviously for my sports team, but also did a lot of stuff on the side came into college and was still very involved in like going to the gym every day when I was in college. Um, And at this time, I mean, I still had a normal cycle. So I sort of identified as like, I always felt looking back, like I was a bigger girl in high school. And like many of us do now, I look back and I'm like, I wasn't a bigger girl. I was just, I was just athletic. Yeah, I just wasn't the tiniest. Like I just had a build. And um, it's just kind of funny, like going into freshman year, I did put on some weight my freshman year of college, though, as many people do. Um, And so I would never say that my body or like aesthetics was ever my number one concern. Like it was really once I found CrossFit, my, um, well, sort of my freshman year, but mostly my sophomore year of high school, or I'm sorry, of college, that's when I really got into CrossFit. And um, it was never like chasing an aesthetic. I feel like that was a main driver for me and sort of developing patterns around like eating and stress and exercise and stuff, but more so just my love for competition. Like I, if you just ask any of my friends, like I'm just always been, or my family have always been a competitive person. And that's in anything, like whether it's school, job, like athletics or anything. I was, I've always been a competitive person and not so much with other people, but more so myself. Like I just put a lot of pressure on myself. It was a lot of self-inflicted pressure. Um, And I feel like that is sort of what drove, again, some of the development of the tendencies around eating and exercise and stress early on. So it was really my sophomore year. I found CrossFit and started officially doing CrossFit. And honestly, I fell into CrossFit um, in terms of my ability with it very naturally. Like I was a volleyball player. The type of training you do in CrossFit just came very naturally to me. Um, And so pretty quickly, I realized like, wow, I love this. Like I, I want to do this. Um, 
and do it like at a competitive level. Cause I had known that I started, you start to realize, like, Oh wow, this is, this is a sport. People do this competitively. Um, and obviously like I still had a long ways to go, but I would say in the beginning of that sophomore year into junior year, like I made a lot of gains early on, but it was in that pursuit of like wanting to compete and wanting to be like at a body weight that I would be competitive at and eat a diet that was going to help me perform. And it was like, I got into, um, you know, as a lot of people do in the sport, counting macros and, um, I don't want to say dieting, but just like really taking a look at like the quality of food I was eating. And this is to say, like, I've always eaten healthy. Like I was, I'm a dietitian. I study nutrition since the beginning of college, but it's just on a totally different level. Um, I, sort of. I actually like this. I don't think I've talked about this on the show before, and this is a mm-hmm. good point, right? It's like, yeah. we didn't all necessarily, I think most of us do go into training and nutrition with hope hoping to like lean out at some degree but many of us are very much focused on like performance feeling good recovering Mm -hmm. and that's very common in the crossfit space and like like you're saying i think this is really relatable for a lot of people um you want to you just like when you start counting macros you sort of just change the things you're eating and Mm -hmm how much of them you are. So for me prior, yeah. I was like, cause I did the whole CrossFit thing too. And um, at when I was doing it, it was like all about paleo and I think that yeah. was Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Whole like, no, for sure. Whole 30-ish paleo, yeah, for sure. And so that was like, I would have like chicken and eggs for breakfast. Like, <laughs> or like, dude, half a chicken and like roast vegetables at lunch. Like this is just I know it was a lot of food I hadn't quite like grasped the concept of like calories yet so I was just eating what I wanted and focusing on quality and then when you discover macros you're like oh well I'm I'm not eating like chicken with skin on it and roast vegetables Mm -hmm. every day exactly yeah you and you just learn so much about what is in your food like it is funny. Like if you ask every single, every, and every person day off the street, yeah, they might know what sources of protein are or what carbohydrates are. But if you were to ask them, like, how many grams would you think this is? Or how many grams of carbs do you think would be in this? And everyday people don't know that stuff. But once you start to count macros, like you do start to know that stuff. And I don't want to like poo poo counting macros entirely because I truly believe like, even with a lot of clients that I work with, there's a huge, um, benefit and there's definitely a place for learning what is in your food for for certain people that need to understand what is in their food better so I do think it can have a really important role but as many with us like you sort of um you just run you run a dangerous line when you when you get into counting macros and um but yeah so kind of getting down back into that conversation like I was just so focused on I'm competing. And at that time, like I had seen women in the sport of CrossFit that like at the competitive level, they did look a certain way. And when it comes down to it, whether you're an elite CrossFitter or not, you are aspiring to look like these elite athletes. And I think that's a little bit, what's a little bit different in some other sports is like, as a runner, you may be looking to have like a, a much like smaller figure or like other sports, whereas in CrossFit, like you want to look lean, like you want to look really muscular. And look like you can like fight a man like that is, and not to be like 
intense, but like you want to look strong. Like it's, it's highly praised. And so that's not a bad thing. Like, that's awesome. I think it's so incredible that like so many young women are being inspired to have muscles and be strong and look healthy. That is amazing. It's just when, um, it, it can, it can become, you can take desperate measures to try and achieve those things. And, um, so I, I just really wanted to have the body that would allow me to, to compete at, at a high level. So, so I definitely went through, you know, a traditional weight loss. And this is where you and I have very similar stories, just because, you know, if you were to look at where my starting body weight was to where I ended up and like that whole process of me losing my cycle, I, I didn't really lose like a ton of weight. I may have lost 10 pounds by the time that I actually lost my period. And it wasn't even that short of a time. Like it may have been two or three months and I was going through, you know, a pretty healthy, uh, well, I don't know if I, I would look back and say that it's healthy now, but just, it wouldn't be your traditional, oh, I lost 10 pounds in one month or, you know, 10 pounds in two months where it could be more of a significant, um, you know, shock to the body. It was everything that just started to build my whole life around. I, I started to get a lot of stress around training, around school, around getting to the gym, but also being a college student and being social and like trying to balance all these things that when it came to all of those things, in addition to looking back to now realizing it was a restrictive diet, just around how clean of food I was eating and, um, you know, the pressure that I put on myself to, you know, not go out to eat and not do certain things that you don't think is stressful, but it is, it was, it was so stressful to me. Um, and so, yeah, I would kind of say that took me through like sophomore, junior year of college, even especially going into senior year. Um, at that time, I still had been making like pretty significant gains, I would say, like in CrossFit, just in my skill and my strength. And that was really, really cool to see. Um, and then into like end of my junior year, going into my senior year is when again, it kind of got taken to another level where our CrossFit gym had a pretty solid group of, of people that we were trying to compete to, um, to like earn a position to compete at regionals in CrossFit. And, you know, CrossFit, I mean, they're not necessarily doing the regional competitions anymore, but I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Like as, you know, competing on that level, no, it's not the CrossFit games and it's not, um, you know, that top level, but it's definitely getting there. And so I was training pretty hard, like, you know, multiple hours a day, working as a student, working at a job on top of that, um, doing all these things. And, um, and at the, at the time, like definitely looking back and not eating enough, you know, it was not enough, enough food for what I was doing. You know, was it 1200 calories? Absolutely not. Was it maybe around 1800 to 2000? probably maybe sometimes it was going above that but just looking at the level of everything I was doing uh it just it wasn't enough food it, it wasn't at all um and you're like uh, you're not a super short person either no I'm I'm five six um yeah, like yeah. Average height. yeah yeah I'm five six so um yeah but it was really you know getting into my senior year where I was I was working at the gym. I was training after that. I was probably riding on like six hours of sleep a night, maybe less. I was sleeping terribly. I was in a very rigorous nutrition program, studying to become a dietitian. 
um, trying to get good grades, like just was balancing a lot of stuff. Um, and I, I, I don't necessarily like regret some of these things. Like it, I've learned more reflecting back on some of these things now than, um, now that I'm in this position, but, um, it, it was a lot, it, it was a lot. And, you know, we could dive into like my whole transition into not striving to be a competitive CrossFitter anymore and kind of where that's at now, but it kind of came to a point, I would say, um, you know, I graduated, I competed at regionals. I graduated from college. Um, I went to the university of Dayton, which is in Southern Ohio. And I moved home back to Cleveland to do my dietetic internship, which is the requirement that you have to do as a registered dietitian in training in order to be able to sit for the board exam. Um, and so I came back to Cleveland. I got matched at a hospital um, in Cleveland, as well as a uh, master's program. So I was doing a, co a coordinated dietetic internship with a master's program. So that took me a year and a half from, you know, the, uh, towards the end of 2018 to the end of 2019. During that time, it was, it was a different lifestyle in that, like, I wasn't training as much cross that I wasn't working out as much, but the whole day to day was like, identical, maybe even worse to what my senior year was, where I was at the hospital from, you know, eight to four, I was commuting an hour, I was getting up at 5am to train at the gym, sometimes go back to the gym later at night, because that was my, like, that's what made me feel good. That was my stress relief. But all these things were just continuing to compound in terms of the stress. Um, and at this time, like I was already getting into the world of functional medicine. So I was, you know, understanding of a lot of these principles in terms of like HPA axis dysregulation and the effect that, you know, all this, all these things can have on your body. And like, I had been seeing doctors and gynecologists and all these things. And I think I knew for a long time at the root, like what it was, I just truly felt like I didn't have control over my, of my, my situation, which I mean, I did looking back, like I, I did have control of it, but I just felt like you know, I got to get through this. Like, this is what I got to do. It was just like day to day, just get it done, get the work done and kind of deal with it later. Um, and I don't really know at what point it kind of, it, it finally struck me at one point where I would say it was probably October of last year when I really started to like listen to more podcasts and read more things and read more research about like, okay, hypothalamic amenorrhea. Like, I definitely feel like this is kind of what might be going on. So I tried to really work on taking down the intensity, taking down the, the hours of training I was doing during the week, making sure I was eating a little bit more food. And I would say during that time, like I definitely made progress. Um, you know, I started to feel like some more symptoms of having a period and things were getting, I, I would say I was having some positive symptoms, but it got to the point where I just know my personality and like, I have an addictive personality. So like, if I'm going to do something, like I do it 100%. It's, it's hard for me to kind of do something happen. And so, yeah. That, that is why you had a hard time feeling like this wasn't in my control because while you're doing this whole mm -hmm. training hard and studying hard thing, mm -hmm. the to like find balance with all of that is just yeah. like a non-option non-option like you hit okay. the nail on the head it was like it was one or the other I, I I like to pride myself on being a person that can handle all things and do all things but like looking back it's like what do I though it's like do, do I do that or is it or am I just telling myself that I am because really it was very one-sided like it was very all or nothing in the terms of like do all the things 
you know, get everything done, be stressed all the time. But it was like, I wasn't doing the things that I should have been if I was, you know, preaching balance and saying that I'm good at balancing things. Like I, yeah, that's, I would, I would say that's pretty accurate with like how I felt. And so that is something I'm totally new to. And like, I truly feel like I'm at a point in my life where I have found, I have like, I have disassociated from a lot of those like conditionings and patterns and feelings that I can look objectively now and be like, wow, that was not, was not good. But, um, I know a question on your mind is how long will recovery take me? And I know that because I get that question a lot and it's tough because the timeline can be really unknown. And look, I can't give you a magic answer. That's a hundred percent accurate. But what I can do is ask you a whole lot of questions to understand things like what your lifestyle is, where your mindset's at, what have you already tried, what are you willing to try and not willing to try, and a lot more questions like that to determine a general range that you could expect. So I created a quiz to help get that answer to you because I was asking these types of questions to girls all the time. So I thought I'd make a quiz. And it's called, how long might it take to get my period back? (laughs) The quiz. So once you go through it and you answer the questions, it will give you not just a time range, but a quick description of how you might be feeling to help you connect with that answer and see and make sure, yes, like this fits, this feels good for me. And don't worry, these ranges don't have to be set in stone at all. The goal is to allow you to look at the range that came based on your answers and decide, you know, do I want to do this or do I want to speed this up? So once you get your range, you'll also get a few emails from me that week with some important tips that are specific to you to help you work through some of the roadblocks that could be slowing you down and in turn speed up your recovery timeframe. So Take the quiz now. Just head to quiz.thehasociety.com or find the link in the show notes and let's do this. That's quiz.thehasociety.com. But yeah, so I just kind of fast forwarding though, it was still during, you know, I I graduated from my master's program. I started working um, in the job that I'm working now, which I absolutely love and I'm working alongside another dietitian, but again, it was a new job. It was working in private practice, which is not always the route that many starting out dietitians go. And um, it was a lot of pressure just in terms of like making sure that I was, um, you know, still learning, like and still researching and really getting on top of um, a lot of really important information that required of me because of like the role that I have, especially in the uh field of nutrition that I, that I practice in. And so that was still, it felt like a lot of stress. Uh, I started teaching a course, like I started teaching a college course at my uh, school that I graduated from my master's from. So still lots of new, lots of new. And just for time frame purposes, this was all like the beginning of this year still. So the beginning of 2020. Um, And then I think just kind of coming off of all that, I I finished the class that I was teaching um, at Case Western and I you know, was getting a little bit more comfortable in my job. And then we start to hit, you know, that we're in quarantine, start the end of quarantine. And, um, you know, I don't know what exactly hit me, but I think it was finally maybe finding no period now what, 
um, by Nicola Rinaldi and like just immersing myself into that. And it was like, once I could see from like a scientific perspective, like this is what you have to do. It was like probably a week later. Or so I was like, I was all in. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like, kind of, I know that was kind of a lot. I hope I kind of hit the, the most important stuff, but yeah. So, I mean, September one was legit the day I went all in, I would say. And here we are now almost three months later. So yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about the all in process for you. Yeah. Um, and throughout this whole time you were seeing symptoms, right? You were like, you had cervical mucus happening. Yeah. Yeah. And was reacting. Anything else? For sure. So I, and it's kind of weird. I think we talked about this before, but I actually had cervical mucus throughout even like the last year or two, I would say of not having my period just because I think my body was sort of like on its way, but yeah, I would say even since the uh, beginning of September, it, it was really, I would say three to four weeks in, I was starting to get some pretty uh, obvious symptoms. I was having cervical mucus. You know, it wasn't necessarily in an exact pattern. It seemed like it was a little bit all over the place. Every couple of days I was getting some different types, but it was something. Um, I started getting breast tenderness, which even when I had my cycle years ago, I never had breast tenderness. So like that was very new to me. Um, I think that was the case for me as well. I think. Yeah, it was so weird. Um, and not even necessarily tenderness, but like sensitivity. It was like, yeah, like to touch, it was very sensitive. Um, so I started getting that. Um, I started even, you know, feeling ovulatory pains and the twinging that many women talk about. Like I started to have a lot of those feelings that I felt like things were moving, like things were going on down there. So that was encouraging, like getting those signs and um, having those things happen is definitely encouraging. And it obviously like the HA Society was such a groundbreaking like piece of my journey, just because you don't know until you connect with other women that are going through this, like you feel so alone you feel so alone in like your healing journey and you feel like you're this anomaly and that your body is broken and that like, you're just one in a million that are going through this, despite all the signs that would point to the direction that this isn't you, like, this isn't your situation. This is not me. Um, and then you connect with these other women that like, yeah, you might not be able to re relate to every single one of their stories, but like some of them, like you'll find those one or two people that you're like, Oh my gosh, like that is me. <laughs> like they'll say things and you're like, that is me. Yeah. Um, and like we all think that this that we're the anomaly. Exactly. So. <laughs> it's the ironic. It's yeah. Ironic. Um, yeah. And so, in terms of like the cervical mucus and the other symptoms like that, for me, um, and this is kind of a whole another topic, but um, the skin issues have been something that have progressed for over a year now, and you know, I know for a fact, this is also um, some gut related issues that I'm still working through. And it's just ironic because this is a lot of the stuff that I work with a lot of my clients about is, you know, certain, you know, gut dysbiosis. And we look at functional lab testing to really identify some of these things. And that's sort of like a, another thing. But I do believe that part of the flare ups in acne that I really had was non-existent for years is related to the hormones coming back and um, definitely a part of it. But yeah, I would say that the symptoms were definitely there for what was it, maybe a month and a, um, over a good month. And then it was the end of the yeah. two months was when I got my first period. You definitely were a bit weird. Like, so yeah. we, would, we would get on a call every week and 
it was kind of like you were had these lead up symptoms just for a longer period of time than the average person. We were like, yeah, we talk about this a lot in general group. Like if your boobs are sensitive or hurting, mm-hmm. your period is coming. <laughs> like, it is coming. I just, I haven't seen it not happen yet. Um, but it right. definitely was like prolonged for you. Yeah, it was very weird because I would, you know, I felt like, and this is where I had to totally detach from any expectation because in the beginning, like you would read stories about women that maybe weren't as knee deep into HA as others where they could get it back in four or five weeks. You know, they up their, they up their calories. They totally cut the exercise out for a good four or five weeks and boom. <laughs> yeah. And like, I did that times 10. Like I was like sitting on my, I have always had a big appetite getting to 2,500 calories between 25 to 30 days. So I am obviously hoping, and as we speak right now, I'm kind of waiting for that third period and I'm on like day 24 right now. So at first I was kind of upset about not having it right now, but I don't necessarily want a 24 day cycle. It's kind of like, I want it to be longer. What? Way too frequent as way, well. Way, way too frequent. It's <laughs> like, be careful what you wish for. So obviously anytime I'd be excited to get my period. Like I never thought I'd be so excited to get a period and have cramps and all these things. But yeah, so we should be, you know, looking at this week and I've had like good symptoms and signs. So just trying to be patient, but yeah. With that second cycle, mm-hmm. because you would have had the most data in that one of any. Right. Um, what did you notice? So, I mean, that was the first time that I saw a clear ovulatory temperature spike. So I had gotten the Daisy, which is a fertility tracker. Um, I got it prior to getting my first period. And I kind of went back and forth with whether whether or not I actually wanted to track temperatures, just because before you get a period, it can kind of mess with your head and it's going to be pretty inaccurate. But I was like, I'm just going to try. Like the two weeks leading up to my period, I did start to to track my temperature just to see kind of what it did. And even before that first cycle, I didn't have a clear spot, like a clear uh, spike in my temperature. Um, Even though I did feel like I had ovulatory signs, like I feel like I had some pain and um, like the breast tenderness and some other things like that, but I didn't see a clear temperature spike. But in that, in that cycle from one to two, I did. And that was really cool. It was like day 13, super on, on track. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the biggest thing I noticed in terms of, um, you know, you definitely look back and see symptoms now, just overall, how you feel is, is different than how you felt without a period. So like, I mean, the typical things that you'll think of, like the coldness, I mean, I already started to feel a um, a difference in just like my basal temperature during the day. Like I was always someone that was so cold all the time. I always had blankets wrapped around me. And so that's kind of been nice. Just having more, I feel like thermoregulation, which is cool. What else? The the big thing for me, so I've always had issues sleeping and I know that that has been stress driven and obviously with the hormone imbalance and in the, in the couple of weeks leading up to my period, I actually slept 
soundly through the night, which is probably the first time I can remember that in years. Like, I don't even remember the last time that happened. Even on a good night, I'll typically wake up one time to go to the bathroom. And, you know, in a good night, I'll, I'll get up, go to the bathroom and go back to sleep without any issues. But I was sleeping through the night so soundly without waking up, which is actually interesting because a lot of women talk about how their sleep gets worse. Like, I think you talked about that for you, right? Place. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so true. So when I was like, an athlete training a lot under eating I was sleeping I would fall asleep pretty pretty easily and Mm -hmm. I would sleep and then I got my period back and I just like will randomly wake up at 3 a.m right uh, or I might be able to go back to sleep or I might just be like bing yeah everyone's different everyone's so different yeah. So since that though, like in between one and two, I would say my sleep actually did start to get a little more weird, which was kind of annoying. So I was like, Oh, this is helping my sleep. And then between one and two, my sleep kind of went back to being a little more weird, but nowhere near the issues that I was having before where like I'd wake up from two to four and I'd lay in bed for two hours, like just sitting there unable to fall back asleep. And so that's definitely better. It's just usually like one time I'll get up there'll be random days where I really struggle to fall back asleep. Like I might lay there for an hour, but that's pretty, those, those days are, I can count on one hand now. Um, and so just generally though, overall sleep has, has really improved. Um, in terms of my appetite, I know we've talked a little bit about this, like in the beginning when I was initially kind of diving into recovery, I did have a pretty big appetite and that's even more than I had before. Like I was, I've always been someone that kind of eats frequently all throughout the day. I don't usually go big, big breaks of time without eating, but, and I still continue to do that, but my meals were also bigger. So I would eat like a pretty dense breakfast and feel like pretty full. But then by two and a half, three hours later, like I was, I would already be ready for a snack. And so I would have a snack and then, you know, hour. Yeah. And then like an hour or two later, like I'd be ready for a full lunch. And, um, that definitely as I got my first period and into my second like that definitely started to to squash a little bit in terms of just how hungry I was I was still eating a very big breakfast like eating first thing in the morning but I found myself not like thinking about food as often going into into lunch like I might start to get hungry you know I usually eat lunch around like 11 30 or 12 but I I would maybe find myself getting hungry around like 11 or a little before 11 whereas before if I had breakfast at 7 by 9 or 9 30 like I was already ready to get a snack so that was kind of cool just I think obviously it, it, with the whole process and the changes physiologically and hormonally that are happening and with hunger signals and all that stuff it it definitely started to to diminish a little bit, which is just nice. When you don't feel like you're always thinking about eating and just always hungry. And by no means was I not honoring those things. Like if I felt hungry, I would go eat, but um, it just felt nice to be able to feel like it was a little more well-managed. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so that has kind of been consistent, I would say is like, um, you know, I, I ate breakfast at seven o'clock today and I did eat a little snack like before we got on, but I'll, I'll, you know, get to lunch and be ready to eat like a normal size lunch. Yeah. So you know how you were, this just occurred to me, how you were more hungry during mm-hmm. the process. Um, and you said you, you would eat big, dense meals and yeah. then be like pumped for the next one. Yeah. Would you have more uh, cravings in general? So the craving things is kind of weird. To be honest, I've never been a person that's like craved like craved sugar, like craved chocolate. Mm-hmm. Even when I wasn't in recovery and I was you know, not getting period and everything. I wasn't, 
I mean, I think part of it was just because like, again, I'm a dietitian. I love eating healthy food. I will never not be that way. Like I will always want to eat healthy food, but I just was always eating healthy food that like, honestly, sugar and cake and cookies and stuff, it didn't, it, it didn't appeal to me. And once I started to be looser with those things and just eat more treats and kind of, Mm. you know, be a little more liberal with those things, obviously the craving started to come a little bit more. Like I was craving more carbohydrates and whereas before, like I would crave dense protein sources. And so that changed in terms of cravings, like in that first time before I got my first period, like I wasn't eating nearly as much protein as I did usually, you know, Mm. I usually always had eggs in the morning and typically turkey or chicken or something for lunch. And I started just finding myself like I just wasn't craving like vegetables and meat nearly as much. It was more like carb sources, which I, yeah. So, but now since I've gotten back to having like a more regular cycle, like after my first and second period, I've, I've started to crave those um, like wholer foods more. Like I want to eat big salads for lunch. Obviously I throw potatoes and rice and make sure that I'm getting nice dense carbs in there. But I, I feel driven to eat a lot of those like colors and greens and things again, which really kind of yeah. went away for a good like month or two. Um, but in terms of like cravings now, I really don't experience a lot of cravings. I know that might not be um, the norm with like as what other people would feel but I don't I mean sometimes at night I'll be like oh I could go for some chocolate and I'll have some dark chocolate but I wouldn't say it's a a normal thing I I um agree with that like I definitely especially now being pregnant I'm Mm -hmm. like oh I had no cravings before yeah I would be stare in the fridge like what do I want right like what do I want and it was really easy for me to kind of just like say no to things at um, the grocery store just because like, eh, I don't need that. Like, it's right. fine. I yeah, I would agree but with now that. I'm like, I need everything yeah. and I need it. And it's a matter of life or death. Oh so I can, I like, it's been a, like, an, it's another opportunity to look back at the whole ATA recovery mm-hmm. and the whole, um, like tracking and dieting thing prior and it's a a new perspective on cravings and what you wanted to eat and because I wanted I like you like these big fatty salads with like apples in them and raisins and like just delicious things and now I'm like no no like avocado and toast with eggs and a side of cake (laughs) (laughs) like yeah Yeah. and so that's why I was interested because I was like for a second I was like sounds like your um experience coming in like with your hormones ramping up and coming into recovery it's like you kind of sounded pregnant yeah (laughs) Yeah. like wanting to eat more of these foods as a reaction to like right and that's the nutrition that your body's calling like like reflect back and be like you weren't you weren't honoring enough of those cravings Mm -hmm. even just for like carbs in general I believe that was a big like more of a problem for me I know this is kind of different among women that are going through this where fat might be the issue like maybe just overall calories is the issue I don't necessarily know like it definitely was not fat for me I was always really good about eating lots of healthy fat sources I think it was more the carbohydrates for me and not that I was ever across it all to like 
all of the macronutrients are important. Oh, for sure. And especially if you're doing, you know, I was used to when I was in the really uh, competitive days where we were training for regionals and it was more of that, um, that, that phase of training. Like I definitely didn't compromise carbs there. I was, I was eating a ton of carbs, but I don't know, just, I think transitioning off of that, I maybe sub, uh, subconsciously was just thinking like, I'm not training as much. I'm not, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I don't need like heaps and heaps of rice and sweet potatoes. It would feel unjust yes. to be it, eating yes. like that on an off season. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so I would, you know, just kind of, if I was eating a big salad or even if we were eating dinner, like I would still take, I would still make potatoes. Or I would still eat rice and stuff. It just wasn't in that big of quantities. And so I think that just also contributed to it where I definitely think I needed to just get more carbohydrates in me. And um, that's why I started to really crave a lot of those sources. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we got a period and then we got a 24 day cycle and you didn't mention actually, um, what cycle day was ovulation at that point? Like how long was your luteal phase in that 24 day cycle? In the 24 day. So my, my ovulation was on day 13. Okay. So it was a, what? 11 day luteal phase. Okay, good. So yeah. like in that, in that case, you know, a short cycle generally sounds okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas like my 24 day cycle, so, well, I cycled on like day 19. Oh so, yeah. So yours was really yeah. short. Yeah. So it's a really short luteal phase. There's so, there's so much to like, right. Put, pick apart <laughs> once you start cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, like that sounds great. Right. Uh, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is that, I didn't see an ovulation spike this month coming into my third one. So that has not sat so well with me and I'm expecting, and I'm almost hoping like maybe it is just an anovulatory cycle because I know that that's very common. And just with my body working itself out, I think it's, it's just doing that. It's, it's working itself out. And so, yeah. And I discussed last mm -hmm. week, like, okay, well, if we look back, at this month, like what things changed? Because yeah. generally, you know, we, so many of us do that. We get our period back and we make some changes, even if we don't mean to, mm-hmm. um, you know, just it's it's pretty hard to like live your life consistently, always exactly the same. And right. it was interesting to look back at yours and feel like you really did continue doing all the things, yeah. but you have acknowledged you have been less hungry. Yeah. However, you still think you're eating enough. And mm-hmm. there has been a handful of times where you've had to do some physical exertion because you live in a snowy area right. and have friends that are moving house. And it seems crazy to be like, that can't be, I mean, that can't be it. Like, right. come on, like, I'm shoveling my driver. Like I have to do these things. And I, I just like helps a friend move a house and like, it wasn't even that big a deal. Right. But you know, yeah. those were the no, things no, that were Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I almost am like, I wonder if just the psychological thinking around whether that could be the issue could be the problem, which is totally. so freaking annoying. Cause like, 
you know, you just have these thoughts like, am I really that sensitive? Like, is this going to be an issue forever? And I know that that's not the case, but it's, it's just that. I know there's been a few times where I definitely have strained my body more than I have in the last three months in total, like in a matter of a week. And so for sure, like, do I, was I running 10 miles or was I like throwing weights on a barbell? No, but I was definitely just like putting more stress in my body than I had and not necessarily intentionally, but, but yeah, so I've just really made sure to take a step back, just anything I was doing unintentionally to just kind of take a step back and make sure I'm doing everything I was doing the two, the month or two before that and making sure that I'm still continuing to eat enough. And that's something that like, even though we all get to this point, I think where it starts to become really challenging. Like you don't want to have to like keep eating and keep eating and keep eating when you have reached a weight that like you got your period at. And you may even be at a weight, this is in my case, like heavier than I've ever been in my life. Like even when I, like prior to when I went through a weight loss period or like, you know, before I really got into CrossFit. And so those things are challenging because it's like, you, you just don't, you just want it to, you want to start not necessarily trying to lose weight, but you just want to feel like you're at a place where you don't have to prioritize like gaining weight or eating a lot of food. And so, yeah, I think where I was going with that is just like, that can be, that can be hard, but um, nothing will ever keep me from doing that. Like I have too much knowledge and too much commitment around like I will refuse to have to do this again type of thing that like nothing will ever prevent me from like doing what I have to do I, I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense <laughs> like it's yeah, like, yeah you'll never you'll never you're confident you'll never slip backwards into yeah like I might in my head be like this is like this is like kind of annoying like I just want to start moving my body more or I want to maybe not have to eat as much food but my just like that might be my thinking around it but my decision will never follow suit like I will always decide what I feel like is is what I have to do to continue this recovery and to help make it happen the way it should what are the things that come into your mind when you're when you think like I have I know too much now like this is never slipping backwards like what is it that you know Mm -hmm. keeps you going about getting a period back Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm also, I, for like on a daily basis, I'm analyzing labs. Like I look at labs, I look at hormone testing, it's part of my job. And so when I able to just see from like a clinical perspective, what is happening when, um, you know, a very, a very stressed, stressed person, and this looks different for every single person, but literally what that does to hormone levels, like and how that is going to directly, um, it's going to directly impact the body, I guess, just from like a 10,000 foot view. It's like, I, I know that it, the, the clinical data shows it like you can try and suppress those feelings all you want. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, it's just one more thing, like just suppressing the stress. And that's what I did for so long is just, you know, just get through the day, or it doesn't matter that I didn't eat at this time in this break, or, you know, X, Y, Z that you just, squander those they're just kind of excuses and it's not necessarily your fault it's just you make excuses for why stress is okay why you've been able to justify Mm -hmm. that you've you've had this stress in whatever way and like I guess just knowing that the data doesn't lie like that's one thing like just from a clinical scientific perspective I just that keeps me going um and then just also 
with just knowing and learning more about your your reproductive hormones. So like FSH and LH, we talk so much about estrogen and progesterone and yeah, that these these uh, hormones are very responsible for regulating our period and giving us a cycle, but maybe it's not so much those those um, problems and it is a problem upstairs. Like it's a problem at the level of these neuro signaling hormones. And just when I realized like, just the level of mental and emotional stress that I was fighting on a daily basis, that that was such a driver for why I had, um, why my, why I wasn't getting a period. Like, and I truly believe to this day, like that was the main driver for me. Yes. I needed to be eating more. Yes. I needed to take down my exercise, but like the impact of that mental and emotional stress was having upstairs in terms of like those, those signaling hormones. Um, it just, it really makes me take a step back whenever I feel like things are starting to get out of whack and I'm feeling anxiety and I'm feeling a lot of that like heaviness mm-hmm. in my chest and in my body that is more of like that self-inflicted stress that is like put on me. It's like, I have that. I'm like, okay, I got to take a step back because again, it's like, I I know that this is causing, this is causing this. And I know that's maybe not as easy for some people to like understand, but I guess it's just that kind of is what is able to drive me a lot. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm able to tell myself that, you know, there's a story after story of women that have to go backwards, you know, they get where they want to get and they maybe try and go too soon. And I just think big picture, like what is one more month or like, what is like in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to change your life significantly and that's even coming from me who like I'm going through a year where I'm like planning a wedding and like all these types of things where I try to just realize like like there's a bigger plan like there's um there's more to this than just like getting back to where you want where you were before like it will never get to that point it's not getting back to where you were before Mm -hmm. amazing yeah I think a lot of people will like that is how a lot of people want to be able to think about it yeah um and you are in the unique position where you have that knowledge to like help Mm -hmm. you think about in that way right I have one more question for us yeah and uh, like okay this what's something that's really scary for a lot of people is like but I want to to go back to compete like competing for Mm -hmm. regions I want to get back into sport. I choose that. Um, you know, like what are the benefits to like, what, what am I getting out of this really? If it's taking that part of my life away. away. Yeah, totally. So I'm wondering what your experience has been there. Like, do you have a plan to go back to competing or to to CrossFit? Like, did your relationship change? Something I, I remind people of is like, if this sport is truly for you, it will be there when you get yeah. back. Yeah. And through this process, if your desires change, you're not going to be as upset as you are yeah. right now because you no longer have that desire. It can go a couple of ways. So what happened for you? 
Yeah, I totally agree. It can go a couple of ways and it's going to be totally different for every single person because you hear these stories about some of these professional athletes that like they get back to running marathons or they get back to training. And I think number one, it's, it's realizing what you're going to have to do differently because the truth is like, I know and have competed and worked out with elite CrossFitters and they may not have the same issue that I am and they're leaner and they're working out like more hours a day than I am. They're eating more than me. And like, again, every single person is different. So you cannot compare what you look like compared to someone else or how much you're training compared to someone else, because genetics plays such a huge role here and just your predisposition to handle stress differently. However, you just wonder if you had making different decisions around food, around the level of like pressure and stress, like, could you, you know, maybe what you were doing on a daily basis wouldn't impact you as much. So I believe that as long as you take the necessary time to like do this recovery due diligence and really start to reevaluate like what your mode, like what your motive is, I guess, then if you get through all of this and, you know, you've started to kind of realize things about yourself just in terms of like why you may have been doing this was it truly that you you just wanted to compete and that you want to be in sport or was it more so you know this this Mm -hmm. aspiration to like an aesthetic or some idea of like what you felt like you should be doing or what you felt like was just an identity for you and like who would you be without this part of your life yes like I have 1000 percent gone through that I'm still going through that like I am the person that like people look at me and they're like Abby's the crossfitter like Abby's the dietitian like Abby eats healthy Abby works out like and I don't think that like the close people in my life have thought any differently of me like they still see me as me and not this like identity that I think a lot of people have like made me out to be and that's really hard to like just swallow sometimes and come to come to terms with but I'm getting more and more comfortable with that every day and just knowing that like yes like I do believe that CrossFit maybe definitely not to the level that like I was doing it just because um I just have more I just have bigger goals now and like bigger aspirations to do other things if that makes sense like yeah. yeah. And so I have more, I don't have like as much space for that in my life and just the mental and emotional energy that it took for me on a daily basis. And that's okay. Like that is okay. But I know that it's going to be there. And I, I'm not even worried about like, um, I don't want to even say relapsing because that's a pretty heavy word, but going back down that rabbit hole, because I just know, I feel very confident in like what my driver of that is going to be. And that is going to be to like, live a very healthy life and I'm always going to be a competitor so if I end up doing a CrossFit competition down the road or you know competing with some friends like it'll be there I'm going to do it I'm going to make sure my body's in a good place to do it but like it's going to be there for fun and it's going to be there just because I want to do it not because of this again this self-inflicted like pressure of like this is my identity and and I'm I'm no one but it um and yeah I just I have such a passion around like helping more women than this than um, just to not have to go through what I've had had to go through. And I think that it's just so prevalent in, in sport in general, but like in the CrossFit space and just like some of the conditioning and mentality around this lifestyle that you just, again, you kind of run, run this line of, um, 
of letting it dictate your life. And I, I don't, I want to help women not have to get to that point and almost be on the more the preventative end. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of a long winded answer to, to okay. your question, but um, I do think it's possible. I think you got to make the right decisions around it, but I think it's completely possible to like get packed to a place where you're, you're doing it in a really healthy, safe way. And like, you're still able to push yourself hard you're not going to push yourself hard maybe five days in a row, but like you're going to be able to still push yourself hard and get what you want out of it. It's just you're going to have to do things way differently. You might get more out of it. Yeah. You know, oh, that's... People will learn oh that my God. Like that is a whole nother thing. And I will not go down a rabbit hole, but like okay. I realized in the last year or two, like you could ask any of my coaches or my friends that I was like competing with that I was not seeing the gains strength-wise, like competition-wise that I should have been based on the level of time commitment that I was putting into it from all ends, my, you know, time in the gym, my nutrition, everything. And it just makes so much sense to me now. Like I, I just, it makes so much sense to me now that I was physiologically not even in a place to see the type of success that I was striving for. Like my Mm -hmm. body was not, was not allowing it for me. And that gives me a little bit of peace too. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I know we're running out of time, but yeah. one thing that you had um, mentioned that I loved too was like uh, giving up that identity and kind of worrying how people are going to see you, but then learning that people just don't see you um, differently necessarily. Right. And I actually think for many of us, we we worry, oh, how are people going to see us? Well, actually, when you... Um, take a step back and say, I'm making this change. This is what I'm doing because this is what's important to me. Mm-hmm. That opens people's eyes up to the fact that you are so much more. They're not yeah. saying, oh, she's not a CrossFitter. She's a blah, blah. They're like, oh, she is an athlete and, you know, yeah. there's more layers to her as a person and what's important mm-hmm. to her and what's going on with her and, what yeah just like what she's capable of and I think that we we don't realize that what this experience does is gives us more yeah it does yeah oh I couldn't no I I don't think you could have said it any better it's like you think you know what you want you think you know what the long-term goal is or what you're striving for and it's not bad to have those things I just think it's you close yourself off to so many other possibilities or just um yeah just really looking at yeah what more you have to offer and like what you're what you're capable of yeah I love it where can people come and chat with you and and people always reach out to guests after the show because they just resonate so much with someone's specific story so people go find you yeah so I'm pretty active on Instagram so it's just at abby underscore vichel um and again, the dietitian that I work alongside, we, we do a lot of general sports nutrition stuff. So that's at Forward Fuel. Um, and we also have a scientifically research-based blog that I spend tons of time writing in. So that's forwardfuel.com. So those are like the big places, but yeah, I'm happy to connect with people on Instagram. I, I love that. So shoot me a DM or whatever. Um, that would be the easiest way probably. 
Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.